Uh, good morning, Southfield. It's so good to have you with us here this morning. Uh, I know that with all the, the crazy things happening, like with corona and with weather and all that, we are so glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. Now, here's the thing. This year, I've heard the term uncertain more than I think I ever have in my entire life. These are uncertain times. Fortunately for us, there are some things that we can be certain of. Uh, we can be certain that Jesus did die for our sins and we're going to be able to live forever with him and he is coming back. That's, that's all things that we can be certain of. We can also be certain of Illinois football stinking. Whether it's U of I, whether it's the Bears, we can just count on losing. And that's almost comforting in a sense. Uh, we can also count on Illinois weather patterns being insane, like having an 80 degree Sunday followed by a 40 degree Sunday. We can be certain of these things. Unfortunately, another thing that we can be certain of right now is that the coronavirus is here to linger for a while. Uh, and one last thing we can be absolutely certain of is that this stuff, if you can't see in the back, it's a can of tuna. This stuff stinks. Not like stinks as in is bad. Like I actually enjoy tuna. But if, you, if I cracked this can right now, the whole room would need to be fumigated. It stinks. And if you can't smell this stuff or taste this stuff, you know something is wrong. Um, that said, today is Substitute Sunday. And for Substitute Sunday, like any good substitute, I'm going to show you a video. Our sermon today is coming uh, via video from, I mean, technically it was filmed right here, but it's coming from home. So for those of you watching online right now, uh, you're actually going to be watching something that isn't live happening here in the room. We are going to be streaming our, our sermon this morning, and I'm just going to get off the stage and let my dad explain why. Well, good morning, Southfield. Whether you're joining us today uh, in the comfort of your living room or wherever you're streaming or you're joining us here in the room, uh, we welcome you. So glad you came this, this beautiful uh, Sunday morning in November. I have a little story for you today, kind of strange, and involves tuna fish. I was getting ready to eat lunch this week, went into the fridge, I'm looking for something to eat, and scrounging around, couldn't really find anything I wanted. So I went into the cabinet, and I noticed at the back of the cabinet a, a can of tuna. I thought, man, I haven't had tuna fish in a long time. It sounds really good. So I opened up the can and uh, drained it and, and put it in the middle of a bowl. And I got, some, I got some of my favorite mayo and put a little bit in to creamy it up a little bit. And then, and then I got some dill pickles and, and put those off to the side. And I didn't even go down to sit and eat. I just stood right there at the counter and got a little bit of the tuna, got a pickle, put it in my mouth, started eating. And then I took another bite. And, and at that moment, I kind of went, something's weird. This tuna, this, something's not right with this tuna. It's just not, it's just not very strong. I, I don't get it. I mean, tuna, when it comes down to it, we know it's, it's kind of, it's pungent, right? I mean, when somebody has tuna, you know it. And so I, I literally, I went over to the sink. I, I took a sniff of the can. I'm like, this is the strangest tuna. It has no smell. And, and I went back on over and I took another bite. And as I took a bite, my mind started slow rolling a little bit. And I was like, oh my word, you have got to be kidding me. I couldn't taste the tuna, I couldn't taste the pickles, I couldn't smell the tuna, I couldn't smell the pickles, 
And, and so I started running around the house trying to find things that, that were strong smelling. I, I mean, I opened the fridge and I got the, I got the basil pesto out and, and I, I, I took a smell, nothing. I actually took a little taste, nothing. And it was in that moment that I realized that I had one of the telltale signs of COVID-19. I have no ability to taste or smell. As it turns out, that is the only symptom I've had the whole time. Uh, I, I've, day after, I had a little bit of what I might describe as a stomach flu. Outside of that, I've not had a fever. I've not had anything else. But talked to a couple of the COVID experts around, around Southfield and asked, what do you think? And, and, and they all affirm the same thing. That is as good as a COVID test. 99% sure you have COVID. So last week, we were all gathered together, and I said, we're going to take a very common sense approach to this, which is something we should do any flu season, not just in a COVID season. If you're not feeling well, stay home. If you have a fever, please don't come and share it. If you, if you can't taste or smell, it's best that you stay home in quarantine. So, so today, only a week later, I'm already following my own advice, and I'm going to be staying home for today. Uh, by the time next Sunday rolls around, I will have quarantined long enough that I can be back with you. Unfortunately, then, I'll have the immunity to this to be able to, to share with you and minister with you and not have any problems. I'm, I'm grateful for the, uh, the low-grade case that, that I've received, and yet, um, at the same time, what it does today is it separates me from you, and I'm bummed about that because I love being with you at 8, 9, 10, 11, every Sunday or when, whenever we're together online. So, uh, for this morning, I really, I didn't want to skip today. We've been going through this story in Joshua, and we have finally come to a, a climactic chapter. Chapter 6 is huge. It's a story that, that almost everybody knows about, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. And I was like, man, I don't want to delay another week. We've, we've got to continue with this. We have just got to keep rolling. So I hope you don't mind, those of you in the room today, you're just going to have to Crick your neck a little bit harder. Look up to the screen. For those of you at home, it's just like every other Sunday, but, but I'm going to be talking to you today uh, by way of video instead of live in the room. So what I'd like to do is set up a little bit of the, the stage of the story today. We need to understand a little bit about Jericho. Kim and I had the privilege in, in 2000 of, of heading to Israel, and while we were there, we were at the Dead Sea, and we were going from the Dead Sea on up to Jerusalem. And as you take the highway from the Dead Sea to the Jerusalem, inevitably you pass by what is now a very, very modern city of Jericho. It's a city that is uh, run by the Palestinian Authority. We weren't able to go in, but from the distance we could see it. For the Israelites who are now who have now crossed the Jordan River and are on the other side, they are going to have to go through Jericho in order to enter into the Promised Land. There's no other way. In fact, the, 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 the path from Jerusalem to Jericho is very well known. You know it from the story of the Good Samaritan. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. It was known as a rough highway. When it says they went down, the idea was not north to south, but uh, elevation. Jerusalem was higher than Jericho. In fact, Jericho is, is getting to one of the lowest places on earth as you get to the Dead Sea. So, so there's this downward track. You had to go through Jericho in order to get on into the center of the land. Now, to just get a little bit of a picture of that ancient city, I think sometimes our modern American minds have watched a little bit too much Lord of the Rings. 
And so we, ma- we imagine an, an ancient city as, you know, this, this massive fort and, and just tall, towering castle and everything else. Instead, you have to get in your mind that, that, the, that the fort of Jericho, we believe, is probably, it's under 10 acres. In fact, some believe it's probably about a six-acre area that's walled out. Now, to give you a little bit of perspective, if you're here on our church property, from the oak trees to the street and from the Konjevich property to the other side is about 10 acres. So if you were to take a wall and put it around this particular area, you'd, have, you'd basically have the walled city of Jericho at the time of Joshua. Now, that doesn't mean that it's just a little micro town or something like that. You've got you to understand that, that people, people lived outside of the walled city. They lived to the outside. And when, when a battle was coming, when, when danger was coming, people would, they'd flood into the walled area, they'd flood into the city, the gates would be shut, nobody would come in or out, and everybody was protected while they were within the walls of the city. And so that's what, that's what Joshua and the Israelites face right now. In fact, we see in Joshua chapter 6 verse 1 that the, that the doors are quite literally shut and nobody is coming in or out. At the end of chapter 5, we saw Joshua sizing up the city. Joshua is a, is a masterful military strategist. In fact, there are, there are literally generals that study ancient warfare today and talk about what a fantastic military strategist Joshua was. And so here he is, the Bible tells us at the end of chapter 5, and, and he's just he's staring down the walls of Jericho. He's trying to think through, how is he going to take this city? If he had a war cabinet, if he had others with him, they probably would have suggested a couple of ideas. One idea would have been to to build a ramp, to build a ramp on up to the city wall and then go ahead and, and breach the wall. This, of course, would have taken quite a bit of time. And they need to conquer the whole land. So they have to do this at every town. It's going to take up a lot of time. Another suggestion that would have been raised would be to just put a siege on the city to make sure that nobody could come in or out. When you have all those people in that small area for a while, eventually they're going to run out of food. Eventually they're going to get very hungry and they're either going to starve to death inside or they're going to open the gates and we'll be able to get on in. Either way, you can see that Joshua's thinking through military strategy. How is he going to take down this first very important fortress? He has this encounter, we read it last week, this encounter with someone who he thinks is a soldier, a sword sword drawn, and and he walks up to him. What bravery. He walks up to him and, and he asks that question, are you with them or are you with us? And the person, the soldier responds, no or neither, I'm with God. I'm on God's side. And I've come here today to deliver a message. Before you do, take off your sandals for the place on which you're standing is holy. Just like God had said to Moses back at the burning bush. So at chapter 6, we we start into the story. And God is telling Joshua what the strategy is going to be for overtaking the city of Jericho. And the strategy that is laid out to to Joshua We don't get his reaction. I wish we did. I wish we knew 
how he reacted to this. But, but he listens as God describes, this is the way you'll take the town. You're going to take your army, you're going to take your soldiers, and you're going to get the Ark of the Covenant, and you're going to get some priests, and you're going to walk around the city. You're, just, you're going to walk around the walls once a day for six days. You're going to have the Ark of the Covenant with you. Remember, that's significant. We can't forget that. Back in chapters 3 and chapter 4, we saw that mentioned again and again and again. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of the presence and power of God with the people. And so the Ark of the Covenant is marching around with the people. And, and God gives this order. They are to be completely silent. No speaking. No speaking. All they are supposed to do is march in silence and the priests are to be there with the Ark of the Covenant blasting ram horns. And so they're blasting the ram's horns and they're walking around the city and they walk around once and then they go back to camp. And the next day they do the same thing and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. Six days in a row they walk around one time. The seventh day they're to walk around seven times. Now this again gives you the idea that this city, you got to get it out of your mind, okay? This isn't, this isn't Joliet with the wall around it or, or Shanahan or Manuka. This is, a, this is an area of several acres with the wall around it. They walk around seven times with the ram's horns blasting. And at the end of that walk, Joshua shouts, the Lord has given you this city. And the people shout and the walls come tumbling down. And what we see, God gives the instruction Joshua follows the instruction to a T, doesn't, doesn't miss a beat, and the walls come tumbling down. And he gives the instruction to the people, when, when we get in, make sure to go rescue Rahab, rescue her family that are in her household. She is now with us. In fact, the text says, she, and she's with us to this very day. And we know she come, becomes part of the lineage of King David and ultimately of Jesus Christ. So go rescue her, and then he says, everything else is under a ban. Everything else is to be destroyed. And the only thing you're supposed to do, anything you take, it belongs to the Lord your God, but you are to take nothing, absolutely nothing for yourself. So that's the story. Now, now what I want to do is not dwell on the story much longer, but instead talk about some application. How does this ancient battle story apply to people living in the United States, modern times, 2020. Because I'm telling you, this story, this story speaks to us today. This story has messages for us today that are unmissable and unmistakable. So here's the first lesson. Through the story of Jericho, God teaches us when to fight, and when to not fight. He teaches us when to act and when to not act, when to speak and when to not speak, when, when we're supposed to get our, our sleeves rolled up and do work, and when we are supposed to stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. Both messages are given to us in the Word of God. There are times that we are supposed to work, and there are times that we are supposed to watch. And one of the lessons for us as believers, is to learn by way of discernment which is which. And to be honest, sometimes that is about faith, trial, and error. 
In fact, we see Joshua as he goes through this book, we see him at times not talking to God ahead of time and getting in trouble. And, you know, he, there's, a, there's a give and a take and an up and a back as he, as he learns, as he learns the times that he's supposed to rely on God to do all of the work and the times that God is asking him to get involved. And so what we need to know is how do we discern between the two? How do we know? Like when it came to building this place, were we supposed to give to it and do something about it? Or were we supposed to just sit on the property and, and wait for a building to appear? How do we know? How do we know? How, how do we know when we're supposed to date and when we're supposed to wait? How do we know? How do we know when we're supposed to act and when we're supposed to just watch and see the salvation of the Lord? I think there are really two factors involved. The first involves the glory of God. Everything always involves the glory of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the purpose of our existence, to glorify God, to always be pointing to Him, always be pointing to Him. And so when it comes to acting or not acting, the real question is, what's going to glorify God the most? And by the way, that's determined by God, not by us. So we're listening and we're trying to determine, God, how do you want to be glorified in this particular situation? In this first battle, in this first battle, it was important, it was, it was very important that God got all the glory. Because remember, this isn't Israel fighting the people of the land. This is God taking the land. This is God working on their behalf. You, you remember Joshua 1.8, be strong and courageous. Why? The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God wanted to teach the people inside of the walls, and honestly, he wanted to teach the people walking around the walls that he was present with them. He wanted to be glorified by something that to us seemed crazy and foolish, Walk around the walls, just do what I say. And if you do what I say, I promise you, you will see a victory. So sometimes God is glorified when we stand back and watch. You know, there are other times God is glorified through our, through, through our direct interaction, intervention. So you have this other battle against a giant. And this kid comes along, a shepherd boy, and he sees all the cowering soldiers unwilling to fight. And what is his recognition? He recognizes that shame is being brought on God, that God's glory is being diminished because the soldiers aren't willing to fight. And so this little boy, he goes to King Saul and he says, I'll fight. And Saul tries to put armor on him and everything else. And ultimately, we know the shepherd David goes down to a stream, picks up five stones, takes his sling, wings it around, first stone, boom, right between the eyes of Goliath, and Goliath falls. It, it, took, it took David doing something that brought glory to God. Now, what I find intriguing with both, when you look at the end of this chapter, we read that Joshua's status was elevated because of what happened that day. And we know that David's status was elevated because of what happened that day. What happens is when people choose to glorify God, when people choose to point to God, they get recognized as people who point to God. So part of what God is trying to teach us when it comes to acting or not acting is what's going to bring me the greatest glory in this situation. And sometimes the greatest glory comes through action and sometimes it comes through standing back and watching, just seeing the salvation of the Lord. 
I think the other thing God calls on us in this situation is to, is to ask the question, God, what are you trying to teach me now? What are you trying to teach me now? We all have different lessons that we're learning. Let's face it, some of us are pretty activistic. We're, we're, always, we're always rolling up our sleeves. We're always jumping in. We're always getting to work. And in that case, God might be saying, for a change, I want you to watch me work. Others of us, we're a lot more passive. We, we'd, we'd wait for food to fall in our mouth rather than lift our, our hand to our lips. And God's saying to that person, no, I want you to realize that, that I glorify myself when, when you actually do something. So there are lessons that God is teaching us along the way. Again, I think the lesson God was teaching the people in this moment is I'm present with you. I'm present with you. I, I'm, I'm here with you right now. He didn't want them to miss the fact that God had promised he'd be with them and that he would fight for them. And so in this first battle, this very first battle, it was essential that God be glorified and the people learn the lesson of his presence by watching. And I know they, they walked around the city, but you know what I'm saying? In other words, it wasn't them picking up swords and attacking. It wasn't them batter ramming the walls down. They let God drop the walls. So the first lesson is when to fight and when to not fight, when to act and when to not act when to speak up, and when to be silent. The second lesson involves foolishness. It just involves foolishness. I want you to think about this for a minute. Joshua is a great military strategist, and he hears from God, this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk around the city. We're going to carry the ark. We're going to blow some trumpets. We're going to shout, and the walls are going to fall down. If Joshua is the human that we are, and I suspect to some degree he is, he's thinking, that's crazy. That's foolish. But here's the thing beyond that. Joshua has to go deliver this news to the people. I've been staring at the walls. God talked me. Here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to walk around. We're supposed to just walk around, and eventually the walls will come down. I suspect there were two or three or four detractors in the crowd that were already starting the murmur patrol. Can you believe this guy? He's nuts. This is crazy. This is whack. I've never heard anything like it. We are going to get killed. They're going to throw stones at us from the top. This is not going to work. You see, I think part of what, part of what God is trying to teach us in this is that His ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. And very often, His ways look and seem like absolute foolishness. They look and seem like foolishness. We see this again and again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 18, Paul literally says, the cross to them that are perishing is foolishness. He says the preaching of the gospel to the Jew and to the Gentile is foolishness. I mean, you think about it. You, you think about describing to someone how they can have a relationship with God. doesn't make a lot more sense to describe to them a pathway of works or, or to even just flatly say, you know what, this, this God thing, that's all just, it's all just kind of a, a myth. It's something, it's something out there. But no, when we really start to look at the gospel itself, the Bible describes the gospel as foolishness to those who do not know God. Are we willing to embrace the foolishness of the gospel? You know, the Bible describes what I'm doing right now as foolishness, preaching. 
that this actual method of, of declaring the gospel to people this way is a foolish method. And, and, and when you think of modern times, there are people that would suggest the idea that somebody would stand and talk in a monologue for a half hour in an authoritative way from the Word of God is nuts. Why would you do that? We should have a dialogue. It should be smaller groups. It should be people sharing and, and discussing and interacting. But, but there's something about this method here now that God says, I know it's foolish, but I choose the foolish ways to get my work accomplished. You know, just last week, I got to admit to you, I got home. I got home. And I said to Kim, I shouldn't even preach today. I felt like I had wasted my time. I, I, was, I was emotionally exhausted. I was frazzled. I was just kind of, I wasn't in a good place inside. Do you know how many people during the week contacted me and said, that's exactly what I needed? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. I, I'll have times that, that, I'll be, that I'll be leaving and I'll be standing at the door. Somebody will be leaving and they'll, they'll tell me what they got out of the morning. And I'm like, I didn't even talk about that today. But there's something about the supernatural dynamic that takes place in this moment that a person listening to the Word of God being declared and the Spirit interacting with them takes them on the path of formation that He desires, He's created, and He wants. God uses foolish things to confound the wise. Generosity is foolish. The idea that you would take 10% of what you have and give it to God is nuts. Especially when you read, the Bible says, Try out giving me. You can't do it. And a friend not, not too long ago, they, 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 they did something incredibly generous. And in no time at all, God made it up and beyond. And you're like, how does that work? God loves to use foolish things and foolish ways to accomplish his purposes. And I think when it comes to the idea of walking around the walls, it sounded crazy. It sounded foolish, and I, and, I, and I ask you today, are you willing for the sake of God to embrace the foolish? You know, just prior to the election, there was a commentator who was being asked again and again, What's, what can you do to change the country? And he kept giving the same answer, vote. That's what you can do, vote, vote. I have a different answer for the Christ follower. Pray, pray. God has called us to be people who spend time on our knees. I'm rather convinced that the dry rot of the American church right now, the, 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 the sick state of the soul of the American church and the American megachurch, the dropping of leader after leader, not only morally, but even just from the faith itself, has to do with the fact that we are not spending any time on our knees. God is calling us to the foolishness of praying to spending time before him praying. But instead, we come up with our ways, our plans, our methods, our programs, our approaches. And God's saying, get to your knees. Will you embrace the foolishness? The foolishness that is God's ways. Lesson number three. Lesson three involves the path of formation. And I think there are many paths of formation, but this is one that God uses in our lives. When you, look at, when you look at the battle of Jericho, it basically had three components. The first was to walk in silence. Can you imagine this? This entire huge army just walking a walled city in utter silence. The, the ram's horns are blasting, but nobody's saying a word. 
Let's face it, it had to be intimidating to the people on the wall to have these silent people just walking around the city. And then maybe two or three days in, they looked down and they said, this is crazy, the people aren't even talking. They may, they may have even started shouting insults at them, and the people who were walking may have tempted to you know, tweet back at them, hey you, blah, 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 whatever. But, but they didn't, right? They, they walked in silence. Silence is a tool God wants to use in our lives to form us and shape us into the image of Jesus, and we are not quiet enough. We're just not quiet enough. We don't take the time to be quiet in the presence of God. You know, I think part of the reason God wanted the people to be quiet was for them to recognize that he was with them. When we are silent, we get the chance to recognize that God is with us. We talked about it already. The Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of the presence of God with his people. When they were quiet, they could recognize that he was there. We don't take enough time to be quiet and recognize that God is there. This morning, I'd like to actually stop right now and be quiet for a couple moments. Be quiet with, with our symbol of the presence of God. This is, this is our Ark of the Covenant, communion. Bread and cup that remind us of the presence of Jesus with us all the time. If you're here in the room uh, and you didn't get communion walking in. There's some at the tables at the back, the tables at the front. We also have the gluten-free on the side tables. And you know, for those of you at home, it may be a while since you've had communion. If, if you'll let us know, we'll get some of these prepackaged communions to you so that you can participate with us as you're watching uh, in the video service. But I came across a, a video this week that, that reflects the importance of silence. And it's got a series of, of prayers involved in it. So I'm actually going to just go ahead and let that play right now. Would you watch the video, absorb what it is saying as you partake of the bread and cup and you're reminded of the presence of Jesus, the very real presence of Jesus here with you today, a presence that can only be known in the silence.
silence reminds us of the presence of God. It also gives us some clarity on what God is saying to us, which brings us to the second path of formation, and that is complete obedience. Notice they said complete, not just obedience. They had to obey everything God said, every step, walking around each time, being silent, ram's horns blowing, carrying the ark. They had to be obedient to every step. Sometimes we're selective in obedience. Oh, we like this piece. That's a good idea. Not doing that. Not touching that. No way. God is saying, if you're silent, I will reveal my presence. I will reveal my will. But then you've got to have complete obedience to my will. You've got to do what I ask. And then to bring it home, perseverance, perseverance, you got to follow through completely. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. They had to walk every day for seven days. And on the seventh day, they had to walk seven times. They had to, if they'd have stopped on day five, the walls would not have fallen. Sometimes we're being completely obedient, but we wonder why. It seems like no results are taking place. It seems like everybody else is winning. Evil is getting its way. Why in the world? We just don't seem, let's just give up. We can't give up. We've got to persevere. We've got to keep going. I'm reminded of the story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. Here's this Syrian, Syrian military uh, officer who has leprosy, and he's told that the way to be healed is to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. He's ticked off. He wanted a, a direct a conversation with Elijah, Elisha. He felt like he deserved that. And instead his servant says, just do what he says. And he goes and dips one, two, three, four, five, six, and it's only on the seventh time that he comes out with normal skin once again. So we listen in the silence. We recognize the presence of God. We listen in the silence. We hear what he has to say, and we obey completely, and we persevere to the very end. That brings us to the, to the ending, and that is that we need to recognize that what belongs to God belongs to God and we don't take it for ourselves. And that's next week. That's next week as we look at one man, Achan, who decided to not completely obey God in the process. Uh, great trouble. Great trouble came his way. So, this ancient story teaches us when to fight and when to not fight. That we exist to glorify God, and God decides how he wants to be glorified, sometimes through our action, sometimes just through stand back and watch. But that, that we get the privilege of learning lessons, sometimes by direct participation and sometimes by seeing the way God works. We have to have that willingness to embrace the foolish. Just embrace the foolish, embrace God's ways, even if they don't make sense to us, embrace God's way and walk that pathway of formation, that pathway of silence, of complete obedience and perseverance. In the words of one of my favorite movies of all time, Galaxy Quest, a real theological gem, never give up, never surrender, keep going, don't stop, don't quit, don't give up. Keep pressing on with God. Next week we'll look at Achan. So Father God, I'm grateful that a story that happened thousands of years ago, a battle that happened that, that we never got a chance to, to witness with our eyes teaches us today, here, now how to walk this pilgrim pathway. And I pray God that we will continue 
with consistency to walk the walk that you have for us. We love you, God. Thank you for your love for us. Amen. All right. So, yeah, to end our, our time together today, I just want to remind you that we do have several ways to give. You can give in the black box that's hanging on the door uh, as you're on your way out, uh, or you can give online. We appreciate, again, your faithfulness in, in all that. Uh, we do have a special uh, time of music today with our student band. Uh, they've been just absolutely killing it for us, and so now you guys get to enjoy them as well. So if you would, uh, just listen. Feel free to stand, sing along if you'd like, uh, but let's spend some time talking about and worshiping our good, good Father. Still into love. 
Uh, tonight, I think I'm going to enlist them uh, to do kind of a jam session for our Thanksgiving dinner that we're having. Uh, no, you don't have to. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, but do remember that tonight, Revive, we're running 5 to 8. We'll start eating about 5.15. Uh, so make sure you come out for that. And uh, for the rest of the week, just be checking the, the website and your email for any updates along the way. We hope you guys have an absolutely amazing week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Go again, my mind racing, and I can't seem to wait. All these crazy sights and feelings.